From rocking with the boss to fighting apartheid and starring in one of the most beloved and respected TV shows of all time, The Sopranos, he can claim one of the most eclectic, wide-ranging, and memorable careers in entertainment. And now, Stevie Van Zandt is sharing his life on stage and on screen and everything in between in the new memoir, Unrequited Infatuations. And what a pleasure it is to welcome its author, the legend Stevie Van Zandt, to Frank Buckley interview. Stevie, welcome, sir. Great to have you. Good to be with you, Frank. Thank you. Your career spans generations of fans. Uh, it spans different mediums. It literally spans continents. But it starts as many music careers do, with you listening to records in your bedroom as a kid. Was there a particular artist or band that made you think, I want to be like them? Well, yeah. I, 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 had, I was buying uh, singles here and there uh, for a while, a couple of years. And, and then... Um, the big, the big, the big bang, as I refer to it, uh, was uh, the Beatles appearing on a variety show called Ed Sullivan. Uh, the whole family would watch it every Sunday night, and um, you know he'd have something for every age group: uh, puppets for the kids and opera for the older folks. And uh, the 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 thing that for the teenagers that night was was the Beatles, and um, it really uh, blew my mind. And and uh, you know seventy two million others, but. Uh, <laughs> It really, it really, you know, it really did change the culture uh, into a band culture, which didn't exist in our country. You know, we um, we had we had you know duop groups and we had instrumental uh, groups and we had uh, individuals, you know, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and, and, and Little Richard, but um, we didn't have a lot of four and five guys uh, playing and singing. It just wasn't it wasn't a thing really, um, at, especially at that time. So. All of a sudden, there wasn't one single band the day before, and the day after, literally everybody had a band in the garage, and uh, I was soon to be one of them. You know? Yeah, and you know, to think of where you are today, Stevie, and compared to that kid, that teenager who hears the Beatles and thinks that that has changed the world. Did you ever think in a million years, or maybe you did, that you would be where you are today? Well. No, you, you couldn't imagine. Uh, I, I had a pretty good imagination, but not that good. <laughs> uh, no, you, you, the struggle was just, uh, it's hard to describe how new the whole idea was. I mean, it wasn't even a business until the 70s. Not really, you know. So it was just a bunch of freaks, you know, uh, trying to find their, their identity and, and, uh, and, and find a way to, to make a living doing it, because it, which would seem like an impossible dream, just that. Yeah. Uh, not, not to be famous necessarily, but just to try and make a living doing it was, uh, was almost impossible. You use the word freaks, and you use that in your book as well. You talk about the fact that even when you met Bruce Springsteen, you were both long-haired guys from working class neighborhoods in New Jersey. Uh, and you called your, you say you were freaks and that somehow when you met as teenagers, there was sort of a natural sort of friendship that developed because you were these guys who were sort of outliers. But the one thing that struck me was when you met, you guys are both legends now. When you meet as teenagers, the angels didn't cry. The heavens didn't open up. It was just a couple of guys. You barely remember the, the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember the moment, but uh, it was no big deal. 
Uh, like I said, it was a you know most most of the most of the band stayed in the garage mercifully, but but uh, <laughs> about a dozen of us got out, and you and you knew them all. You know, what I mean, you, you you knew all the other bands because because there was not that many of them, and um, well, I think what bonded us even closer was on Saturdays I I I go on the bus up to New York, and see bands in the afternoon at the Cafe Y, which is still there, and. Um, and those bands were like a year ahead of us in New Jersey. So you'd go, you know, and you would observe, you know, and and, uh, and try and steal some ideas and use them in your band. And I started running into Bruce doing the same thing, right. you know, which was quite unusual. I mean, it's, you know, it's an hour, hour and 15 minutes away, uh, which was a big deal when you were a kid. And, and so um, I think we started to realize we're the only other guy we knew who... Um, really took it seriously and 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 it was it was not like a hobby or a thing on the weekends rock and roll was everything to us and it helped having one other guy feel the same way you know if you're the only one you know maybe uh you know maybe there's something wrong with you but if there's two of you you know maybe you're on to something <laughs> you you and i can't remember if this was coming home from one of those instances or another situation but you write about the fact that at one point you guys were walking by i think it was your dad or maybe it was his dad in the kitchen and just sort of looking yeah. off into space and you describe how both of your fathers in a, in a way were i don't know if the word was ashamed of you or upset that you were what you guys became, I mean, at the moment. Can you take take us into that moment, and why did they feel that way, and how did that end up in terms of your relationships with your fathers? Yeah, ashamed is the correct word. Uh, you know, ashamed and embarrassed, and, uh, you know, we were literally two of the only guys with long hair in those days, which... I know it seems like n nothing now, but but uh, in, in those days, you just didn't have long hair. If you were, you were something was something wrong with you if you had long hair. Right. And uh, uh, and uh, you know they were worried that we were going to be uh, uh, drug addicts. Uh, you know, I, I, like I used to say, I mean, I I think my parents would have uh, you know preferred me to be a criminal. At least it was steady work. You know. Uh, <laughs> But but they, they you know they, they this wasn't it, it wasn't something that they could relate to it just mm. wasn't that that generation I mean we were the generation gap that people talk about yeah. uh, which I thought would be the biggest generation gap in history but I, I think we're actually going through another one right now actually it's it's just more subtle mm. but 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 in those days it was it was open warfare and um, you know we would of course reconcile with, with both of our fathers uh, in a few years. But but uh, at, at first, man, it was tough going, and uh, I ended up getting thrown out of the house, got thrown out of school. Um, you know, it was it was it was rough. It, it was a, t a tough time. Mm. Um, when I told friends that I was I was speaking to you, they, they they wanted me to ask you how the music came together. And I, I had Bernie Toppin on this program once, and he talked to me about writing with Elton John. He would write the lyrics. Elton John would take the words, sit down at a piano, and bang it out, sometimes in 20 minutes. Um, your, your great collaboration with Bruce Springsteen over the years, how did it start, and then how did it work as you guys worked together? Well, we're basically going through the 60s, um, which was largely, surprisingly, 
uh, a monoculture in a sense year by year for us in the in the music world. Um, you know, it, it would only happen in the '60s, but but you know, '64 all British invasion, '65 all folk rock, you know, like that. And I, and I go into great detail in a book about it. But basically, as you went through each trend, uh, you would pick up something, you know, you'd learn something from it. It was kind of like going to school and, and it would go through each, each you know, individual trend. You'd, you'd learn something from that, you know, from folk rock, then something from blues rock. Everybody was playing blues for a while. Then it was psychedelic, you know, then it was country rock. Everybody played country music for a minute, you know, and you, and some some would stay in that genre. And, and but most of us would kind of pick what we liked from it and just keep moving, building our identity. And then we would just, we just, by the end of the sixties, we just were having a different band every three months. You know, we just had something different and uh, try this, we try that. Uh, so, so you're constantly building your identity that way until um, really all the way until Bruce gets signed to a, a record label um, following the, the trend of that moment. Which, which was in the early 70s, uh, happened to be singer-songwriters. Uh, came, came, came to be, the, the, you know, the, the popular trend, thanks to, I think, the Beatles signing James Taylor really started that, mm. started that off, I think. Uh, somewhere, you know, and then, you know, they had Jackson Brown, we had, uh, you know, Carole King and, uh, and, and, and quite a few others uh, being signed. You know, it was like a modern version of, of what we used to call folk music, um, the only difference between these singer-songwriters all had hit records, you know. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but but Bruce kind of got signed under that, uh, in that Trojan horse, right? <laughs> you know. But in terms <laughs> of artistic vision, you guys weren't always on the same page, right? And so how did you decide, hey, I want to try this, or, you, you know, let's go with this, or I'm going to write the lyrics, or you're going to write the music? How did, how did that get, that workload get divided? Well, we, we didn't we didn't collaborate all that much in terms of writing. Um, the only songs we really did that f- w- would be for Southside Johnny and Asbury Jukes. We we did uh, we did three songs or you know so uh, for Southside. But uh, other than that, we kind of wrote on our own, and we would just have different bands. Some some days I would be the leader. Some sometimes he'd be the leader. Uh, we had a country guy. Uh, he was the leader. Uh, you know, Southside might be the leader. I mean, we just we just took turns uh, having different different types of bands. So it wasn't like collaborating in a in a true sense as much as just being in each other's bands. Yeah. Uh, until he got signed. And for 15 years, you guys grind and grind, and you and you're putting out music, and then you get really to the top of your game, and you decide to walk away from it. We're going to take a short break when we get back. More with Stevie Van Zandt. We're going to ask him why he walked away from the band. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, 
And we're back with Stevie Van Zandt, who's written this terrific book, uh, Unrequited Infatuations. Stevie, we were just talking about the fact that you and, and Bruce Springsteen, you have this great collaboration. You've been working for so many years. You finally get to essentially the top. You're, you're about to enjoy the fruits of all your labor. And you decide to leave, to walk away from it. What led up to that and why would you do it? Well, it wasn't because I was a, a genius when it came to my <laughs> career. I um, uh, the law is a, it's a pretty it's a perfect storm of a, a number of things, uh, which, you know, I, I go into great detail about. But but uh, um, let's let, let's just say for now it was um, um, uh, my, my obsession with politics had had taken place. I started to read about our foreign policy since World War II and and was shocked to find that we were not the uh, heroes of democracy around the world like I thought we were, like I was brought up to think by my ex-Marine Goldwater Republican father. And, um, you know, slowly I, I, I just kind of became obsessed with it and, and wanted to talk about it um, and a number of other things. But, but basically, um, I decided to leave. Yeah. And, well, in, in uh, fact, let me, let me share this quote from the book, because it speaks to what happened when you did. You said, upon leaving the band, I became persona totally non grata. We didn't publicize any bad blood, not one negative word from either of us. We just said that I'd left to pursue my own career. But I was seen as a traitor by virtually everybody. People felt they had to choose sides. Guess whose side they chose? I didn't think... Uh, I had much in common with Trotsky, but we were both temporarily written out of history. Um, that must have been such a dark and difficult moment for you in your life. Yeah, it, it didn't hit me right away because there was a lot of emotions involved. Um, we were kind of having an argument about something anyway. And, and so um, it took a minute for it to actually sink in. Uh, which happened on my on my flight to South Africa, actually, to uh, to do that research. And um, I just I remember the moment it happened. I, I realized, wow, I just I just I've been working for 15 years towards this moment. And I I've just blown my life. Hmm. And um, I never was a good flyer. Uh, I was always nervous on planes and I felt the fear just completely leave my body at that moment. And um and I've been, you know, fearless ever since. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, it, it was one of those things that you didn't think about too much. It was just a a, a, a lot of like a hurricane of emotions happening. And, and then when the air cleared, I realized that I was starting from scratch a whole new life. And that's where the book, I think, starts to get more interesting in a way. I mean, the first half of the book is, is you know, great. You know, local kid from Jersey makes it to the top of rock and roll. And that's and that's a good story, you know, by itself. But the second half is where the bigger themes start to uh, appear. And, and, and I wanted it to be more than a music book for music people. I wanted it to be a bit more universal than that. And um, the themes of searching for one's identity and searching for purpose, you know, searching for spiritual enlightenment, uh, uh, you know, some direction, uh, some form of usefulness. I think these are more common themes and they, and they, they start to happen in the second half of the book. And where I'm just like, you know, no plan at all. Do you think that they also happened in the second half of your life? And do you think that you have found some of those things and the peace that maybe you were seeking? 
yeah, I, I think I'm hoping the book ends up being useful and, and, and maybe even inspirational in one in one simple way. Uh, uh, I've accomplished everything I've accomplished in the world pretty much since I thought my life ended. Mm. You know, I, I thought my life was over at that point. But everything I've done I, I've, has happened since. You know, I became an artist in my 30s and did seven albums now. Uh, I became an actor in my 40s, did Sopranos and Lilyhammer, you know. I mean, I got, you know, in, in, into politics and we got Mandela out of jail and brought down a South African government. And, oh, you know, is that all? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, well, I'm just saying that, that you know, these are the things that I, I, I did not plan on. And, uh, and when you look back at your whole life, you, you think, wow, you know, the things I didn't plan on, the things that, you know, the things that happened after I thought my life was over is when destiny spoke and said, you know, you're not done yet, man. You've got other things, you know, out here to do. And I, I hope people can maybe uh, get something from that. You know, when they think when they when they when they experience disappointment and frustration and maybe, you know, their, their original plan for their life has ended. You know, they should they should, you know, I hope if they read this book, they'll realize, man, you know, maybe it's not over. You know, maybe maybe there's more to come. So if you can find a way to move forward and you don't, you know, don't let it stop you. Don't become a drug addict or an alcoholic or commit suicide, all of which occurred to me. Mm. Uh, you know, if you can find a way to keep keep moving forward and and just, you know, do your best to realize your potential or, or whatever it is, uh, you'll be surprised. You know, destiny may surprise you. That that will inspire people. I have no doubt about it. Stevie, you, you, you touched on the, the acting. You touched on The Sopranos. Let me just show a short clip from the, the iconic TV series. I'm going to tell you something I never told anybody. Back when Jackie was at the end, he floated the idea of me stepping up to the big seat. Not Tony. Me. Really? Yeah. But I thought, it's not for me. Still, you wouldn't sneeze at it. I never saw myself as that kind of guy. Now I'm more behind the scenes. Advice. Strategy. But here you are still. The times make the man, honey. Not the other way around. Stevie, you were so good in The Sopranos. And, and I was shocked to learn you really didn't have formal acting training when you played Silvio Dante, the conciliary to uh, Tony Soprano. How did you have the confidence to step up with guys who had incredible acting chops and then to pull it off in the way that you did? Yeah, um... I'd watch, you know, I'd watch my wife, who was a real actor. That was my wife in that scene, mm. my real wife, uh, Maureen playing uh, Gabriella. You know, she, 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 I'd watch her go to classes for years and do off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway. And, uh, you know, I'd seen what a real actor goes through. That's why when, uh, when David Chase finally offered me the job, I said, you know, I feel guilty taking an actor's job. <laughs> uh, these guys work all the time. I watch what my wife goes through. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what, then I'll write you in a part that doesn't exist. So, so we, you know, we, we wrote in the Silvio Dante part. And, um, and I wrote a biography about the guy just for my own use, really. And I shared it with the writers just for the heck of it. Um, but he was, you know, tough guy, fearless guy, growing up with, you know, friendly with Tony Soprano all his, all his life. And um, 
And we just started from there. And uh, I knew if I could look look in the mirror and see the guy, I could I could be the guy. You know, mm. uh, I, to this day, I don't know how actors act looking like themselves. <laughs> I think that's quite a challenge. And I have nothing but respect for the profession, you know. But but for me, I, I needed to see somebody else. Oh. And and, uh, and that's what happened. And, you know, so I I came out of that trailer as a tough guy, you know, and, and I and I and I just I just stayed in that in that role. And uh I think I think David Chase picked up on the relationship between me and Jimmy in that first season. We bonded on the, on the, I think on the basis of us both being kind of character actors, him a character actor, me a sideman. Mm. You know, neither one of us inclined necessarily to be the front guy, to be the star. Yeah. Um, but we both had experience suddenly being thrust into the spotlight and right. having to rise to the occasion. So I think we bonded on that basis, and then. Mm. Uh, and then I slowly became the underboss and consigliere uh, in the family, you know, just from, I think, me and Jimmy's natural uh, natural relationship with each other. And you're talking about the great uh, late uh, James Gandolfini, who uh, uh, just was such a, an amazing actor. I want to get back to something you said a moment ago, and, and you talked about the fact that you were sort of a genius with regard to managing your, your career early on. Um, and the fact that, when, and you put that in the context of leaving the band. Um, at what point after that plane trip to to South Africa, when you get back to the U.S., is it a moment of now what? What am I going to do? Why did I do that? Was there a lot of self-reflection or did you just get right back to work? No, once I realized um, my life that I had worked 15 years for was over, I was all in uh, with the political situations as I was as I was encountering them, beginning with South Africa. Um, I, I had I, I went a little deeper with the research into some dangerous places mm-hmm. uh, because of that fearlessness uh, of, you know, what are they going to do? Kill me? You know, do me a favor. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that kind of attitude. Yeah. Uh, Oh no! When I got back, it was all I was all in, and and we started. Uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to. Um, it became the Four Musketeers. Uh, me, uh, Danny Schechter, who did all the publicity uh, for it. Uh, Arthur Baker, whose uh, phone book and studio and and and, and musicians uh, made the thing happen. And Hart Perry, who if he hadn't filmed it, uh, none of it would have happened mm. because no radio station would play Sun City. So uh, we had to, we had to, you know, we had to make a great video for people to even be aware of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, so I, I was all in, and we, you know, we organized. We ended up having fifty artists on it, and uh, and it was a really, really clear victory, which is rare in international liberation politics. Yeah. You know, you, you gain an inch here, you gain an inch there, but you never have a complete victory like we did. It was, it was really uh, extraordinary. You talked in the book about getting getting back together with Bruce at some point. I think you said it was a couple of years later, and 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 he said, didn't he say to you, "I know you'd never get back to me, um, that you'd never come to me to to make this happen." So I'm coming to you. Um, is that the way it happened? And and was it awkward when you guys finally thought, "All right, let's let's put it behind us." Yeah, we actually reconciled pretty quickly. I mean, we, I put in our three, our three biggest fights we've ever had in our in, in our lives. Uh, I put all three in the book, and, and you know, in some detail. And um, but we reckon we you know we we reconcile very quickly when we when when that happens. I think our bond 
is extremely strong coming from when we were kids and when we really sort of needed each other at, at a time when um, there wasn't a whole lot of other people having faith in what we were doing, but we had faith in each other. And, and I think that kind of bond lasts a lifetime. I mean, it's still, you know, we're still best friends to this day. Mm. So um, we recovered quickly from those things, you know, and uh, I was a bit more extreme than he was emotionally, I guess. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, that's why he said, you know, if I don't call you, you're never going to call me again. <laughs> uh, who knows? <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that with James Gandolfini, that the two of you felt like guys who were the, the character actors, that you weren't supposed to be the star, the, the front man. That's a theme, yeah. obviously, that goes through back to the music as well. I mean, you're you're a, a mega talent with Bruce Springsteen, but you let him be effectively the front guy. And is that out of choice? And as, as you're in that role, are you thinking, hey, I should be that guy? Or do you feel most comfortable in that role? No, no, not that, that's without a doubt my inclination. I started off as a front man. You know, I, I led my own bands. And I was good at it, and I got good at it again in the '80s when I when I left the East Street Band and did and did those five solo albums in the '80s. I became a very good frontman again, mm-hmm. but it's never been my uh, my my natural inclination. I just uh, I, I think you you know for, to be a real frontman, a real superstar, a, a real celebrity. Uh, I think you have to you need you have to need that spotlight. You have to need that adulation from the audience. You know to really completes you. I really believe that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, we can analyze it all day long, but basically, and I, and I do analyze it in the book, but, but uh, it's not something that I just, I, I just felt I've, I've ever needed. So I prefer to be off to the side or behind, or even uh, a, a, just a producer writer. I'm fine with that. You know, um, performance is something that, you know, I enjoy. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's like a vacation, um, but it's not, you know, the most satisfying part of my life, you know, my, my, the satisfying part, the real, the real realizing your potential part is, is the creation, the creative mm. part, mm. you know, writing, and producing, you know, and, and then, you know, whether it's an acting or whether it's you know, playing on stage, uh, um, that's the fun part to me. That That's, you know, anytime I don't have to think it's a vacation. <laughs> but isn't it because you put in the time, and and you and you spent the hours and the days and the and the so much time and you sort of reference it in the book about how you you knew this early on you wanted to have that Beatles experience in Hamburg, right where you're 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 putting in the hours putting you know six or seven days a week in front of crowds so that by the time you get to where you are today it is just fun. That's right. You're you're exactly right. You got to put that work in and. Uh, and the Beatles were the were the were the best example of it. Literally six sets a night, seven nights a week for months at a time. No one will ever work harder than that. Okay, so you know it's 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 it's, it's justice that they ended up the biggest thing in the world. They earned it, you know. Uh, as and, did and, you, you know, and I, as did you, and I just wonder: Do you ever take a moment to say, you know what? Yeah, I did earn this. I, I'm. I'm where oh, yeah. I am because no, no, no. I, I put in the work. Yeah, no, 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 no one's ever given me anything. <laughs> you know, right. I never, I never, I never received 
the thing from anybody. I, I, you know, yeah, I earned everything I've ever done. And, I, you know, and that's how it should be. You know, I, I didn't ask for anything and nobody was offering, you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was just one of those things that, you know, I mean, it, it sounds harsh, but sometimes kids will come up to you and say, you know, or a parent will say, you know, what advice can you give to my kid? You know, and once in a while, if I want, if you know, if I feel in a truthful mood, you know, I say to them, "If your kid needs advice, he's not going to make it." Ah, you know, you know, because uh, you know, nobody, nobody was encouraging us. Nobody, okay, <laughs> right. and, you know, and that's what it takes. It's a little bit Darwinian, <laughs> granted, you know, <laughs> you know, and you know, and I have an entire school education program to help that situation out called TeachRock.org, and you know, we're we're, we're teaching music history to kids so they will be enthusiastic about music and, and, and other things so we are you know we are, we are trying to help out in that way but the truth of the matter is uh, you know if you're looking for encouragement in this world you know you're gonna you're not gonna make it I mean, if you need that if you need that encouragement you're in trouble yeah uh, you, you got to do it because you have to you know, I had to, I, I had no plan B in my life. You know, we were freaks, misfits, outcasts, you know. <laughs> we were just, you know, I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to go to the military. I, I was too small for sports. I, there was no job that interested in me. Thank God the Beatles came along when they did. And also, I, I must say, thank God four months later, the Rolling Stones came. Because the Beatles were so good when we first saw them. Uh, they were, you know, halfway through the career. They started in 57, gone in 69. We, we catch them in 64 when they were extremely sophisticated. I mean, the harmony was perfect. The hair, the clothes, everything was amazing, you know. Uh, so they, they kind of revealed the new world. But then the Rolling Stones come four months later and, you know, they're kind of more casual, wearing what they want. And uh, there's no harmony, really. <laughs> and, uh, and they, you know, they were kind of like the first punk band, in, in, in a sense. And, uh and it made it look easier than it was. Yeah. And so uh, they, they, you know, the, the way I like to put it is the Beatles create, you know, the Beatles revealed this new world to us, and the Rolling Stones invited us in. Ah, last question: with with all that you have accomplished, the acting, the activism, the music, is there one that you are most satisfied with, most happy about that you think that's my body of work that I most want to be known for, or is it the or is it all of it? Well, there's a few things. You know, there is. There is. I mean, the the the, the music history curriculum, teachrock.org, I think is going to be my most important contribution. Uh, my two radio formats, which I created, uh, are both on a serious satellite, I think are two very important formats that will, that will live on beyond me. Um, probably the Sun City Project, you know, will be the most important thing I've ever done politically. Um, would the South African government have fallen inevitably? Probably, yeah, but it would. we took years off of its life, for sure, mm. and got Mandela out of jail when he was still coherent, which was extremely important. So, you know, uh, I think those things, um, those things I think will, will live on, you know, will, will live on beyond, beyond me, and, and, I'm, and I'm proud of them. All right, one more uh, short break. Uh, continue our conversation with actor, activist, musical artist, Stevie Van Zandt. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And we're back uh, with actor, activist and musician Stephen Van Zandt. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt, you've done it all. You're at the age of 39. What uh, what is left to do? I mean, what is the next phase of your your creative endeavor and your journey? <laughs> More of the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'd like to get back on TV. I, I missed it. You know, I'd even go back to Lilyhammer if Netflix wanted to. I love that show. Um, uh, I also like to keep the Disciples of Soul together. My band, we just did two new albums these last couple of years and uh, had the most productive years of my life. But if Bruce wants to go out next year, with the E Street Band, I'm going to give him a first priority. So if he wants to go out and the virus uh, cooperates, uh, I'd like to do that. Oh, well, we hope that happens. And we, and we sure hope you'll... Uh, uh, make that tour come through Southern California. Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the program. My pleasure, Frank. And uh, once again, the the book is Unrequited Infatuations. Stevie, I I can't tell you how much uh, fun I've had doing this. Thank you so much, sir. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you're not a subscriber, I hope you'll do it today. It's free, of course, and it'll ensure that you won't miss a single episode of our podcast, which drops every week on Wednesday. We have some 240 episodes in our archives that you can listen to at any time on demand. You can also see our interviews on KTLA on the weekends and on YouTube. As always, thanks for sharing us on social media with your friends. Tag me when you do. I'm Frank Buckley TV on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'll see you on TV.